Hello, my friends. This is life coach Mike Chargman, and welcome to an episode of Mike's Search for Meaning. I'm after some big questions. Why are we here? What makes a fulfilling life? How can we grow individually and collectively? Each episode, I'll dive deep with leaders who are doing great work in the world and see how they organize their life. Books read, value systems, resources used, and stories that show how each of you can create the life and the world of your dreams. My guest on the 102nd episode of Mike's Search for Meaning is my friend Tamson Astor. You can connect with Tamson at her website, tamsonastor.com, T-A-M-S-I-N-A-S-T-O-R.com. Her book is called Force of Habit, Unleash Your Power by Developing Great Habits, which can be found pretty much anywhere books are sold. Her Instagram is Tamson Aster, or at Tamson Aster, rather, YouTube, Tamson Aster, PhD, and her LinkedIn is also her name, Tamson Aster. Additionally, I always donate to and raise awareness for the organization of my guest's choice, and Tamson has selected the organization, the Loveland Foundation. All of the places that you can connect with Tamson, as well as the Loveland Foundation, are linked in the show notes. And... For the Loveland Foundation, I highly recommend checking out their website, seeing if it feels aligned for you to donate, even if it's a small sum of money, $5, $2, $1. These donations really go a long way, and it's aligned with the mission of my show. I really want to make a difference and an impact in everyone from any background to be able to have a life that they truly love. Now, Tamsin and I's background story is probably the most serendipitous and synchronous of all of the podcast conversations I've had. I attended an event at Omega Institute, which is in Rhinebeck, upstate New York. And it was led by Liz Gilbert, the author of Eat, Pray, Love, who is just a massively influential voice in my life with regards to spirituality and creativity and living life on purpose. And there's so many different things that she has meaningful things to say about. And it was co-led by Liz and Rob Bell. I went by myself and I happened to sit next to Tamsin and Tamsin and I connected really pretty quickly. And at events like that, I imagine at almost any event at the Omega Institute, you're with kindred spirits, you're with fellow spiritual seekers. And a lot of the props helped us really drop in quickly. So Tamsin and I didn't have to make a whole lot of chit chat or small talk. We got right into the weeds of different things. And Tamsin has such a fascinating background. If you read her bio, I'm not going to read through her entire bio here, but if you read her bio, you'll see that she is a consummate student of what it means to be a human. And that's a big thing that I'm after in this life and on this show. I want to understand what does it mean to be Mike? And what does it mean to be Tamsin? I am endlessly fascinated by people who are deeply in the inquiry of what does it mean to be me? And Tamsin's been playing that game for a long time and supporting her clients and doing the same thing, getting clear on who they are and how they want to show up to life and navigating the inherent complexity and uncertainty of, of life as we, especially as we continue to evolve and as the world is radically changing every single minute, every single moment of every day, it seems at this point in time. The conversation flows in a lot of different directions that I'm really drawn to. And with all of that said, settle in, take a deep breath, 
and enjoy this fascinating and wide-ranging conversation with my friend, Tamson Astor. All right, Tamson, welcome to my show. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it was a very serendipitous, I don't know if serendipitous is the word, but I, I love just having random encounters and then developing a relationship over a certain amount of time. And we just happened to sit next to each other at an event at a Liz Gilbert and Rob Bell led workshop at Omega Institute. And I don't know, I just had a sense when we started talking that you'd be an incredible guest on my show. And so it's just really nice to be sitting here across from you right now. I'm really glad to be here too, because there is something, as you say, whether it's synergy or serendipity about when you go to these massive events, right? And you just sit down randomly and you turn to the person next to you and some people in those events are just like with their journal you know and others come in a big posse of people and they reserve like the eight seats across and it's like nobody else can sit here you know and I think I came and sat down next to you and was like is anybody sitting here Uh (laughs) and it just started our conversation yeah yeah and and now we get to continue it and and hopefully a boatload of people listen to it so Fantastic. I, I start every conversation the same way and, and would love to hear what was it like at your dinner table when you were growing up? Oh, that's a good question. So my dad was a Jungian psychoanalyst, so saw patients every day. So came home at the same time every day. And for the majority of my childhood, my mom was a stay-at-home mom with kind of chunks where she worked during the day or volunteered during the day. So when we came home for dinner, it was at the same time. It was at 6.45 p.m. every night. And we all sat in the same place. And it was a long, beautiful old wooden table. Probably two nights a week, we had guests because a lot of my parents' friends left London when they started having kids because London started getting progressively more expensive. And... These guests were long-time old friends of my parents. And so my brother and I were very much included in adult conversations. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the meaning of life, why people had chosen different jobs. You know, one of my parents' best friends, gay man, who started a publishing company, his partner had died of AIDS, you know, people who had left medicine to become bespoke carpenters. So interesting people. So the dinner table was somewhere where I was really challenged to express myself and engage and talk and think and have good table manners and like lay the table and clear the table. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds rich. There's, I think there's a few different on-ramps we can have into who you are today and one of the when you started to talk about your your father as a Jungian psychoanalyst and your mom as a stay-at-home mom, I started to think about one of the things we teed up was this integration that you mm-hmm. have of being left brain analytical and right brain. Mm-hmm. And I I started to my synapses were firing there of like, what's the is there a pattern there? Is there something mm-hmm. about her dinner table? And I'm um, I'm curious how you would were you born uh, predominantly focusing on one way or the other way? And and how do you look at your, I don't know if it's uniqueness, but that there's, uh, I experience you as having this really strong integration of both. And so what, mm. what is that for you? I think it was a combination of my parents, but also my grandparents, my grandparents, my mother's parents were a huge part of my life. And my Mother's brother was an OBGYN. So there was a, and my grandmother was a nurse. So there was a strong sense of, and my dad as a Jungian analyst was also, I would probably say an atheist. 
maybe an agnostic, probably more agnostic. So there was a sense of like the logic and science and the value of understanding and data and research and, you know, cause and effect was very much a part of my childhood. But on the other end, my my grandmother was psychic mm-hmm. and would see bad things before they happened. And I would test her psychic abilities all the time. And then my dad was, and she was also into aromatherapy, you know, and homeopathy. So I grew up, you know, yes, we would go to doctors, but I would also use all of the homeopathic things and aromatherapy. And my dad was very much into art. So we used to take my brother and I to art museums and art galleries all over the world. So I grew up in a world where sort of logic and science and math and data coexisted with I see something before it happens. Homeopathy is valid. Essential oils can change how you feel, right? (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, something else that I have come to understand about you is that you were raised in, I think you described it as an overeducated, pretty privileged, Mm -hmm. pretty inclusive, it sounds like, Mm -hmm. area in London. Yeah. And, And that immigrating to the US, it was you you got in touch with this activist energy in you because it, you didn't really have to stand for that when you were yeah. back in London, right? It, it felt right. foreign to you. I find that I find it really interesting. It's especially given the times that we're in today. Mm. Like it's it is so. I think we're so influenced by what is happening around us, and mm-hmm. whether it's being a woman, your your gender, ethnicity. There's just mm-hmm. there's just so many ways that people are are polarized these days. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm wondering if you could just speak a little bit to where where you developed that activist that that fire in you. It's like I could feel yeah. it when we when we connect. So there were two kind of pivotal moments I had when I moved to St. Louis, Missouri, when I was 25 years old. One was I was newly married, and I'd gone to the equivalent of Planned Parenthood in England because the Planned Parenthood in London connects with the local med schools. So if you go there as a student, you get discounted rates to get the pill, to get condoms, to get your pap smear, to get breast checks. But you also may, they will ask you, can the medical students come in and be part of this experience? And my view was always like, bring it on. Like I want the medical students to be well-trained. So I went to Planned Parenthood with the same idea of like, it's cost-effective for me. I'm supporting an institution that does good work in the community, right? And I got out of my car in St. Louis, Missouri, and there were priests holding up pictures of aborted fetuses, screaming at me as I walked in to get, you know, I was newly married to get the pill and have my my annual. And I remember being like, where the fuck have I moved to? Like, I'm taking personal responsibility for myself, right? Family planning. I'm taking responsibility for my health, right? Like, do I have cancer? Anything like that, right? And I'm supporting in any way that I can sort of sliding function, right? But that's one of the things I've always loved about Planned Parenthood is you can pay as much as you can afford, right? Based on where you are in the world. And that was the treatment I got. So that was the initial piece of like the accessibility to healthcare for women and the judgment around how we run our bodies to me was deeply shocking having grown up in central London and led me down the route of, you know, supporting Planned Parenthood and around like all of those organizations, whether it was like the monthly m- amount coming out of my 
bank account, but also the like phone banking, knocking on doors, you know, you know, hanging, going to events, you know, standing with signs, all of that kind of stuff. Right. So that was the sort of first one that led me into that space. And then the second was when I got my, went to sign the paperwork for my postdoctoral fellowship. And I went to the HR department and the woman said to me, ah, great, you've completed our minority quotient today. Hmm. And I looked at her and I went, I'm a straight, white, middle-class woman with a PhD. Can you explain to me how I'm a minority? Because I literally like had never thought of myself as a minority, which, you know, obviously huge amount of privilege that I'd never thought of myself as a minority. She's like, you're a woman. And I looked at her and I went, I'm a, a woman is a minority? Mm. <laughs> I was so completely shocked by this concept. I was like, I'm a minority? What is it? I'm a minority? And I immediately went out and got a tattoo that was like, was, was like, was like a big cat tattoo on my back. Cause I was like looking for something that represented feminine power. Cause I was so shocked. <laughs> Yeah, that is hilarious. So you, you said it's a cat, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, like it's a it's a jaguar, like a black jaguar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Well, so something something else that I'm hearing in what you're talking about here is there was something that we had teed up, and I'm I'm trying to connect the dots here. Yeah, individual and collective thriving. Hmm. Something that big hearted folks like myself, I personally, I'm not going to just speak for the audience here. I personally have a really hard time with this of like, who am I to succeed to go out there? And I'm very privileged too, right? I am a heterosexual, straight, white male. And so I I have this guilt almost of succeeding. And, mm -hmm. and one of the core tenets of this show is to equip people with the tools, beliefs, spirituality, ideas that help for individual and collective thriving. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I know is really important to you. Mm -hmm. And so how, how do you look at the, we're, we're starting to come with a little bit of a theme here of integration, right? Left mm -hmm. brain, right brain, and individual collective, and mm -hmm. they're not really separate. But mm -hmm. so how do you look at individual and collective thriving uh, in in your own life, like how do you take care of yourself? How does that support you taking care of what whatever bigger missions that mm -hmm. you're aligned with? Things like that. So that's a really juicy question because you know one of the things that I've personally struggled with, and I see with a lot of my female coaching clients, is the 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 service aspect. The I need to take care of everybody else's needs mm -hmm. before my own, right and this idea that, you know, the virtuous woman, the best description of a woman, what it means to be a good woman is to be somebody who serves to the point of depletion, right? And what I have struggled with and kind of what led me to create my business was getting to that place myself due to, you know, one of my children being diagnosed with cancer, one of my children struggling with ADHD, all of these things which required me to manage a huge amount of overwhelm and stress and change how I showed up as a parent, right? And the kind of way that I advocated for my children in their schools and with therapy and interventions and all of that, is that it got to a point where I had to start taking care of myself. But what I then struggled with was that 
the person that I was then married to was somebody who spent a lot of time gaslighting me and belittling me and using language that made me feel small and insignificant. And so when I started to try and prioritize myself, self-care, whatever, however, I feel like that's a little bit sort of slightly nauseating word to use. But for me, what that meant was getting up before my children and starting the day on my own terms for an hour as a kind of starting point, right? Which meant that I wasn't staying up as late, which means I wasn't giving him as much attention because I was like, you know, I need to go to bed earlier because I need to get up and start the day on my own terms and journal and meditate and exercise and have a little bit of before I go into reactive service mode to everybody else Mm. is that I struggled with prioritizing myself because for me being selfish was not an energy that I wanted to be with because I felt that energy of selfishness with him. Like he prioritized himself over everybody else. And I deeply did not want to be in that energy. So even though I knew I needed to take care of myself and was working really hard to create the energetic, and practical boundaries and structures to support that, whether it was like, you know, I'm going to this class, I'm doing this thing, I'm doing this training, I'm saying no to this and yes to this. I There was a part of me that was like, I don't want to be seen as selfish. I don't want to be seen as selfish. Yeah. And that's that's one that I struggle with as well. And it's, it's interesting because selfish on, on its own, I mean, something that I've come to in my own life is that it's it's just a word. It's not good or bad. Yeah, uh, we the the depictions of selfish that we have in our minds, like what sounds like with your your former partner, it was yeah, that is not good. Selfish mm-hmm. is bad, and so I can't yeah. do that. And so the, there's so many different things that like places we can go from here around boundaries. I think boundaries mm-hmm. are something that a lot of people, again, big-hearted people, really struggle with a lot of times. That we want to serve, we want to be there for other people. And I think an interesting way to talk about boundaries, at least on a personal level, I wrote this down right before we started talking because it really drew my attention, is you you said that you're on Tamsin time. Yeah. And I I think this is a really beautiful way to talk about how you've established boundaries in your life. To to even be in a place where you can say, I'm on Tamsin time, Mm -hmm. you've clearly done a lot of rewriting of the story around what it means to be selfish. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. could you walk us through Tamsin time? <laughs> so, so I think like one of the first pieces around it is thinking a little bit. So for me, it was like redefining the word selfish, right? Mm-hmm. As like, you know, when somebody says we're going to meet at noonish, that's like 1145 to 1215. It's like around that time. So when I, somebody gave me this concept of selfish is like just being around you, like it's your energy, your time, your money, your thoughts, your feelings, your interactions. And it's not negative or positive, but it's just around you as a kind of initial reframe was really helpful. So that was the first piece of that that allowed me to start going. These are the things that I need to do for me. So when I think about Tamsin time, it means that I am on my own path, my own trajectory, my own scale to success, healing, relationships, clients, all the parts of my life, right? Which is something that a lot of social media creates this idea that you have to be in a certain place at a certain time to be considered mm-hmm successful. So I remember my first business coach said, if you're not making a hundred grand in the first year, you're doing it wrong, Mm. 
which we know is bullshit. Like if you look at most entrepreneurs, most entrepreneurs are not making hundred grand in their first year, right? Raise his hand. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so, but that, you know, so I sat with that discomfort because I didn't. And then I sat back and go, well, it's different. Like she doesn't have kids. She can do five sales calls on Christmas Eve and 10 sales calls on Christmas morning because she's not dealing with kids and stockings and whatever, whatever, the, you know, so and I mm-hmm. said all this, right, you know, <laughs> right. So part of it was like that comparisonitis and letting that go, but still, I mean, I think comparisonitis is really interesting, right? So I think comparisonitis can be really negative, but I think it can also be motivational and pumping up and like, if this person can do it, so can I, right? Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. a a large part of when I, how I define terms in time is when I find myself getting triggered to use an overly used word, but when I find myself slightly spiraling into anxiety or coulda, woulda, shoulda, or like, I wish I'd done that. And if maybe I'd done that training, maybe I'd work with this coach, or maybe if I'd created my landing page, all of that, right? (laughs) I stop, pause, I ground myself. That's really important. Cause you know, when we get into a spiral of anxiety, energy is not contained. Our energy is not in our body. Our body is not connected to our mind, right? So when I start to notice the energetics of that, it's like, oh, information, (laughs) right? Mm Let's reintegrate. And then from there, take my next step forward, right? And rather than going into the future and into the past, just like, what is my next step, right? Mm-hmm. That so sounds, I think that's a big part of it, yeah. It, it, so th- this is beautiful, right? So boundaries are coming up for me. Comparison mm-hmm. is, is a really interesting one. And you, a lot of your work is centered around habits. And, and what I heard at the end there was that if we if we break down what a habit is, like I think you you've said cue, right? What how what's the how do you uh, form it? Cue, cue action reward, and the action, the action is the actual habit. Yeah, it's the behavior. Yeah. So did you from a habits lens? Did you look at it as oh, like I've noticed that I'm I'm all spun up in my head. I'm thinking about my landing page. I'm thinking about how this person built the business. Is that the cue? And could you walk us through how you look at habits, how you build habits? Sure. So, you know, we have the, the, you know, that often people will talk about good habits and bad habits, right? And, you know, even the definition of habit is, you know, something that's hard to change is included in a lot of definitions of habit, you know, which sort of inherently lands a habit as something that has a negative connotation, right? Which I'm leery about from a kind of the words you use have power angle. Mm -hmm. And I'm leery about in terms of, when people think of habits, they usually think about changing their bad ones or getting rid of their bad ones rather than thinking about reframing them or cultivating the habits that serve them. But, you know, when I think about habits, I think about the fact that we make 35,000 decisions every day. And I'm Mm -hmm. sure that there are many groups who make more than that. So an example would be, you know, what it's like to be a woman to walk into a dark alleyway at night versus a man versus a black person versus a trans person versus a fill in the dots right so i reckon that 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 number is is probably low for some groups but let's just take that as the ballpark that 35,000 decisions are something we make every day if we can reduce those decisions by making habits we create more time and energy for fun more time and energy for rest more time and energy for activism so when i think about those things i think about what is cueing that behavior right so habits are cued by five things, person, place, time, emotion, preceding event. 
And often those kind of emotional driven ones, that feeling of anxiety, that feeling of depression and sinking, that feeling of of comparison, that feeling of not enoughness, shame, guilt, right? Often our habits of numbing, you know, scrolling on social media, drinking, anonymous sex shopping, whatever the habits are that, you know, you, your community, yourself have created to deal with that discomfort, that discomfort and that emotion, right? So for me, when I have a a habit that is driven by, and I see that in my clients are driven by a discomfort and emotion that we're not, is to pause and seeing if you can locate that emotion, right? Because we are not emotionally articulate. We are not taught emotions, right? Like in schools, like we're taught how to do a fucking quadratic equation or the periodic (laughs) table, but not like, you know, am I sad or am I sad, mad, glad? Like three emotions is what the predominant amount of Americans can recognize in themselves and others. Depending on the researchers, it's between I think 19 and 47 emotions that humans experience. Right. But Mm -hmm. we're taught, not taught like, hey, babe, you could say to your kid, you know, your student, I see you. Are you feeling confused? How does that feel in your body? Like, is that, is that, are you feeling angry? Are you feeling conflicted? Like, what's, you know, like, what rather than like, you know, get your shit together and, you know, suck it up and move on? Like, Mm -hmm. the story I'm telling myself here is, you're angry because your face is constricting and your fists are, is that what you're feeling? You know? Mm, mm, yeah. So I want to talk about bright lines rules that you have in your life, because I think that one of the ways that you can be more connected to yourself is by like, I experience you as someone who has uh, do's and don'ts in your life. Like you, you don't check your phone before a certain time. You give yourself the first hour in the morning. Mm-hmm. But before that, I would love to run a rep on what you're talking about here because I think it's important. But we all, I think, I mean, how many times a day for me? I don't even know. Unconsciously, I find myself in this place of like, all right, I'm going to go on LinkedIn and I'm going to see how many downloads my last podcast got, and then I'm going to do this. And the next thing you know, it's like 15 minutes have gone by. So if I were a client right now and I'm coming to you and I'm, you know, that's like, I, I just feel, you know, I looked at my, my phone today and I spent two hours on Instagram. That's I, I know that I, I could probably nip that in the bud. If I do what you were just doing there, like just note, locate the feeling. Whoa, whoa, let's take a, let's take a beat. Let's breathe. Let's pause. Mm-hmm. What am mm-hmm. I feeling? Where do I feel in my body? Mm-hmm. So if I'm your client and I'm coming to you and, and saying, I know, you know, social media scrolling is so bad for me, but it's it's also necessary for my business. I need mm-hmm. to I need to engage with people on LinkedIn, and I mm-hmm. I find myself just like unconsciously going to LinkedIn how many times a day. What would be the rep that you would invite me to run into, or the habit that you'd be inviting me into? So, because you're trying to replace a habit that is not serving you, or contain, restrain a habit that is not serving you, I'd say we need to replace that habit. It's much easier when people come to me and say that I want to get rid of a habit. I say getting rid of a habit is really hard because the brain has the neural pathway laid down. So when you have that cue, we replace the action, right? So one approach is you delete all of the social media apps from your phone. And when you pick up your phone, you've got the New York Times crossword. And you go and you do the New York Times crossword or you do the Wordle or you do something that engages your brain, but for a limited short amount of time and you put it down. Right. So you're replacing that, the like that kind of like that dopamine hit. Right. With something concrete. Right. Mm-hmm. But pairing that with the 
what, why is this going on? What am I feeling? Right. So yeah. those are the two things that I get my clients to do or support my clients in playing with. Right. When you're creating a totally new habit, it's a different thing because you're trying to create the neural pathways. Right. Mm -hmm. But when you've already got a pathway laid down, like I like the way the ancient yogis talk about it. They talk about it as like the wheels of a cart horse have left mm -hmm. those. You know, when they looked at the brain and they saw all of the, the gray matter, those ridges were like the wheels of a cart horse had left the grooves in the brain from the repeated pattern sequence. Now we know it's myelin, like, you know, the rubber or the plastic on the mm -hmm. outside there, that when you repeat a pathway again and again and again, it gets myelinated, it becomes automatic, you don't have to think about it. But those automated habit loops are in the mammalian brain, in the lesser evolved part of the brain. So actually trying to change them is really hard. So when the cue comes up, you replace that with something else and after a while it will die down if that makes mm. sense yeah yeah i'm immediately in touch with what so i'll, I'll make this about me for a second and then we can get to boundaries and and i think self-love is is something mm. that's going to be a place i want to go especially given the answer i'm about to say here so when i there's nothing wrong with checking linkedin but when i'm doing it from the place that i'm speaking of here there's there's a longing in me there's a yearning there might be a, a little bit of fear and I feel that yearning is towards, I want other people's approval. Mm -hmm. And I, what I'm noticing here is taking a beat and feeling that yearning mm -hmm. and coming back to myself. It's what mm -hmm. I'm looking for is just people to love me. And, and mm -hmm. yeah. it's coming probably from an absence of, of love for myself mm -hmm. and, and inserting the habit of maybe hand on my heart yep. and just breathing there. And yeah. whatever the thing is, I, I'm proud of myself. I'm doing yeah. great work. I love myself. Sounds squishy to some people, but it doesn't to me. So, Right. Or you have inherent value and worth, regardless of whether one person listened to your podcast or none, regardless yeah. of whether 10,000 people downloaded something or none, right? Like you are inherently valuable and have a huge amount of worth, regardless of all of the external shit you put out into the world, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So that's, I mean, that's a beautiful practice and I, it's not something novel to me, but I'm appreciating from the habits lens, the, the mm -hmm. way that I can notice that yearning and just go hand over heart as the new habit mm -hmm. and the mm -hmm. cascading effect of just doing that one thing mm -hmm. can, can really make a big difference. It's, it's mm -hmm. sometimes that simple just to yeah, insert totally. the new thing. Totally. Bright lines, boundaries mm -hmm. in your life. I've, I see, I find myself doing this dance a lot of, am I being too rigid mm -hmm. or is this supportive of me? Like if I yeah. make the choice, I do not eat any candy. It eliminates a lot of choices that I might have to make in my life. And that's, that's a true one for me. I just, I can't even remember the last time I had a Twizzler or a, a sucking candy or something like that. Mm -hmm. But with a newborn, and I, I want to talk about parenting. I think that's a that's a juicy to to use the word. I love the word juicy. I love that you love the word juicy. Uh, that's a juicy thing to be speaking about. And with a newborn, it's been like in a way, it's, uh, almost everything has gone to shit for me, mm -hmm. and the ground feels like it's gone from underneath me. And and I've needed to be a lot more free flowing with the mm -hmm. way that I approach my life, and not as much. I wake up at six a.m. every day. I meditate for 15 minutes. I Wim Hof breathe. I go mm -hmm. for an hour walk outside. Mm -hmm. And then I look at my phone. Mm -hmm. It's a, you're a parent of three. You've been a parent for almost 20 years. Mm -hmm. 
how do you look at bright lines and that kind of dance of having clean boundaries, being flexible, et cetera, in, in your own life and with clients? That's a huge fucking conversation and I love it. <laughs> I'm like, wow. Okay. So I think the first thing I is, is I think the first thing is to have grace towards yourself hmm. because most of us, when we do these habits, these self-care behaviors, these sort of rituals, which we know nourish us, it's important that if we don't do them, that we don't start going, I'm a shitty person, I'm a bad person, I'm a failure, I haven't meditated in three days, everything's going to go wrong, oh, right? Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> one of the things that I found to be really important in that space is to understand your keystone habit and limbic friction. So let me explain these two things. Mm-hmm. So the keystone habit, so when you think about a keystone arch, you think about those wonderful old like Roman or Greek structures. The keystone is the kind of pizza wedge stone in the middle of the arch that holds all of the other stones in place right Hmm. and the idea if you remove that all the other ones collapse in right it's the one that holds everything in place so most of us when we start playing with rituals and habits and like self-care activities we start to notice that there is one habit or maybe two habits that if we do that we tend to follow through with the other ones right we have that keystone habit which creates this ripple on effect in the rest of our lives So for example, for me, if I meditate every day, I'm much less reactive, which is really important to me as a mother, right? And, you know, the getting up and doing it before is really important. But then, you know, if you've got a baby that's up until three in the morning, you know, maybe you just do not get up at six because it's more important that you get the sleep, right? And so you meditate in the afternoon or the evening instead, right? So to have grace and play with that. So the first thing is to really think about is, do you know, and can you recognize if I move my body every day, do I tend to eat better? Do I tend to sleep better? Do I tend to be less reactive? Do I tend to show up for my priority people? If I meditate every day, does it have that? If I start the day with a, you know, two pints of water and a green smoothie, do I, right? Like, Mm. what is the thing? Do I, if I start the day with a journal and like dump everything out of my head so that it's not swirling around and then kind of look at it and go, oh, wow, you're feeling confusion. You're feeling anger. You're feeling resentment. What can I do with that? Right? So once you start to figure out what are those habits and start with that keystone habit, that can be really helpful as a way to kind of play with the flexibility of parenthood right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the okay i haven't done this in two or three days if i know if i do this one i'll most likely do these other ones right the thing about limbic friction is really important too particularly when we get to dealing with things like sleep deprivation anxiety depression Mm -hmm. so i've had a few situations in my life where people who are close to me have had extreme mental health challenges. And what that did to me was to create a space where I didn't want to meditate because I didn't want to be in my own mind because my mind did not feel safe. It did not feel friendly. It did not feel playful. It didn't feel restorative. And what I recognized there was that my mind was spinning, right? Because of the things that had happened. And that spinning anxious energy is the exact opposite of meditation. 
limbic friction, right? So this is an idea that Dr. Andrew Huberman at Stanford came up with. And it's I find it a really useful way of supporting my clients when they go, I just can't do this habit, right? And so there was a period in my life where I, even though I'd been meditating for 15 years, where I couldn't get up and start the day with meditation because I would sit and my mind would, and I was like, this is not working because of this, this distraction, this friction, this irritation between how I felt inside and what I was trying to do. So I started moving my body every morning. Mm. And if I moved my body, I could then meditate or journal, right? Mm. But if, because it was more aligned, movement was more aligned with the state, the energetic state I was in, right? So those have been two really important things for me as a parent, navigating three kids, divorce, moving multiple times, mental health challenges, you know, one of my children's a cancer survivor, all of these different things, right? When I go into my daily habits with a sense of grace and flexibility, when I recognize that my keystone habit is the one that's going to move me through all of these other ones, and that if it's just not fucking working, try something new. Mm-hmm. How can someone who's listening right now identify their keystone habit? And maybe for, it'll be helpful just for me to reflect back. I, I think I'm understanding. Uh, uh, repeating things can be really helpful anyway. So keystone habit is like the one that that's the easiest that trickles into all the other ones happening, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. if I if I go for a walk, then I know that once I go for a walk, I am way more likely to eat well, meditate, et cetera, do all the things, right? So for yeah. you, it's meditation. Yeah. How did you identify that meditation was the keystone habit and how would you guide people into honing into what theirs is? So there's two things you can do here. One is... If you notice that you've been doing a habit for a while and then you don't do it for a few days, how do you show up during your day, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. for example, new parenting is a classic example. If you've been somebody that has gone to bed and slept eight or nine hours pretty consistently for 10, 20, 15 years, and suddenly you're being woken up four times a day and you notice, wow, I'm not getting up and eating a green smoothie. I'm getting up and wanting to go to Dunkin' Donuts because I'm feeling so dysregulated, <laughs> right? Uh You know, be like, okay, so maybe like sleep is a really is my keystone habit. And that when I am sleep deprived, I need to give myself grace and think differently about how I'm going to get through my day. Right. Mm -hmm. So one is when you is the noticing when you don't. And the other is like when your routine is. So that's a kind of when your routine is changed on a regular basis by doing things like you have family coming into town, you're going you if you're somebody that gets up every morning and exercises. But when you get on a plane and you go to a hotel for a conference, you never go to the gym. You know, like what like Mm -hmm. when you start to notice when there's a shift in your routine, that can be really helpful. So a big part of it. Mike is really learning to listen to yourself and how you feel, which Mm -hmm. is not something that we're trained to do. Right. And so a little bit like you were saying earlier, like stop, pause, like, like I love myself. Right. It's the like, Oh wow. I've snapped at my partner five times today, or my kids crying is really irritating me. Like what have I done differently today? day before that I haven't done right oh I drank four cups of coffee not one oh I did meditate I didn't I didn't go to the gym I didn't you know and you start to connect the dots does that make sense yeah it's a yeah. it's kind of an art and science there's not a like do a and you'll figure it out if that makes sense. Of course always I I like to I've gotten feedback that my show is is incredible and and also could use more practical examples and so I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to pepper sure. 
little bit more of the the practical stuff. I know that I can just get into the the woo woo with you really easily, yeah. and that feels really aligned for me. But yeah, I think one of the things, one of the reasons that it's so hard. There's so many reasons that it's hard to listen to ourselves. And I think I've heard you speak really eloquently to a lot of them. One is we're just not educated about how to listen to ourselves. We, we learn, right, like what you said, quadratic equations and Pythagorean theorem. And we learn how to be really analytically left brain slicing and dicing. And if this, then that. I think that there's just so much noise. We're being bombarded with mm-hmm. social media, mm-hmm. Instagram, the news. And mm-hmm. I think that there's also... There's an addiction to busyness that I've heard you speak a lot to. Mm-hmm. And so where, where I'm getting at here is learning to listen to yourself is, is a really powerful skill. It also takes removing of a certain other or unlearning might be another way of, mm-hmm. of putting it. And to learn about your emotions, you probably have to unlearn a whole bunch of crap before that. Yeah. And we were talking a little bit before we jumped on here that you're you're kind of in the throes right now of even deeper self-discovery right now, like really Mm -hmm. being able to listen to yourself Mm -hmm. and energy work is something that is really interesting to me. You're doing, that's a little bit more esoteric than we've been kind of talking about really practical things you can hang your hat on. And Mm -hmm. there's not many people who are going to be like, what the hell is Tamsin talking about? But there are limitations to trying to figure things out in our head and energy work. I have seen just incredible things Mm -hmm. happen. Mm -hmm. So I know that I'm, I'm serving up a lot here with regards to the, the focal point being learning to listen to yourself, mm-hmm. maybe removing some of the barriers that make that hard. Mm-hmm. So how have you in your life removed some of the barriers of what makes it hard to listen to yourself? So, oh, that's a juicy fucking question, Mike. I love it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, Mike, yes. Idea sex at its finest. <laughs> Okay, so I think there's a couple of things that have been really helpful. One is learning about how you understand yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, I am a verbal processor. I understand myself by talking. Mm. So for me, a large part of that has been putting myself in situations with people, whether it's therapists, healers, you know, energy masters, podcasts, you know, friends, People who I feel safe with, people who I know can listen and my and who will ask me questions or create enough silence and space that I can talk and make sense. Mm. So for me, when I realized that I was a verbal processor, that was really important to me to be in situations where I could talk things out. Right. And that is also tied to writing, too. Like I, you know, I, you know, create a lot of content for my business but I started recognizing that when I was going through my divorce and I had previously started to produce content for my business from the background of being an academic so you know this is why you should meditate the Johnson and Johnson study in 2008 showed that this area of the brain lit up nobody fucking engaged with any of that content but when I started to write my four-year-old daughter came back from my ex-husband's house, sat on my lap crying because she missed daddy's girlfriend. This practice of meditation was really helpful for me so that I didn't want to stick a fork in my eye. 
right? Mm. And this is how I meditate, right? And so when I started, you know, and that for me was a sort of recognition, like that was my own internal processing of my personal experience, but it helped people because they were like, oh, like it's applicable, here's a tool, right? So for me, it's like recognizing how I personally make sense of the world, which is talking and writing. So that, that was one. The second was to really be intentional about creating space where I am not, which actually came up when we were at Omega, this idea of intentionally creating space where I'm not filling my brain, mm-hmm. right? Because there's this sense. And I mean, it's one of the things I love about the world we live in now is that we can get online and get access to anything. Mm-hmm. But that if you are somebody like me who loves to learn, it can be like, you know, and I'm pretty sure I have undiagnosed ADHD that contributes to a lot of the other things that I'm currently going through, or maybe just comorbid a symptom. I'm not sure of what else is going on in my life, but it's the like, oh, this, oh, and then this, and then this, and I want to learn this, and I want to understand that, you know, so I usually have like eight books open at once, right, <laughs> you know, and then I'm listening to four different podcasts, and then I'm listening to this, and then I'm doing this, you know, so for me going, okay, yes, all of this stuff is fascinating and interesting and you can possibly use it to serve your clients and heal yourself and write about it and think about it but making space where I'm not filling my brain with other people's things with other people's ideas so that I can let my own intuition my own creativity my own insight come up and for me back to that concept of limbic friction again for me that happens best when I walk because there is something soothing about walking. It's repetitive. I don't have to think about it too much. You know, like, am I going to go here or here? And I have certain walks through my neighborhood that are kind of loops that if I've got 20 minutes, if I've got 40 minutes, if I've got 60 minutes, I don't have to think, am I going to take a left or right? I just know this is the pathway I take, right? And so being intentional about not taking my headphones, my earbuds, you know, and just walking and noticing the trees and noticing the dog and noticing the flowers and noticing the decorations right and when that happens I find the the repetitive action of walking for me brings up oh that's what that person meant oh when I had that conversation with somebody actually the deeper insight I had was this oh like this is this makes sense to me in this way oh this dot connects to this dot right so being super intentional not by trying to be super efficient of like okay when i'm exercising i'm also going to be reading a book right <laughs> yeah that's been that's been a hard one for me like for example this morning I, I was researching you i like to come prepared for these conversations and it's there's this dance of do i just be still and trust that if I show up that I'm going to ask the right question, I'm going to be with Tamsin in the right way, or do I prepare? And the the multitasking thing is a really big one as well. Like I, if I'm feeding my son in the morning and do, do I just be there with him? I, I actually get the sense that he can really feel my presence when I'm, mm-hmm. when I'm with him. Mm-hmm. And if I'm listening to a podcast and drifting away into some other worlds, I don't know, maybe I'm making it up, but it seems like there's a, energetically, there's something that's happening there. And yeah, presence is something that we don't give ourselves the gift of enough. And, and certainly people around us uh, benefit a lot from it. But anyway, there's a million and one things that we could continue to talk about. I, I just, I love the energy that you bring. And I, I think what I want to talk, like you said before we, we jumped on here that you wanted to talk a little bit about parenting. And I think mm-hmm. that starting a business, two things that we share in common that could be supercharged personal development courses, starting a business and starting a family. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I'm actually going to serve it up to you a little bit here for when you said that, what do you think would be juicy to talk about with regard to parenting here? So I think the thing that I find really interesting, so my children are 13, 17 and 19. So I've, you know, been a parent for almost 20 years, 20 years, if you count how long I was pregnant as well, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, the what my children need from me now is completely different from what your son needs from you, right? But the thing that I think is really juicy, to use that word, is the work-life balance that we have to navigate because I feel like that is such a charged conversation mm -hmm. whether it's around gender mm -hmm. particularly in this country in comparison to other countries whether it's around which one requires more attention and is it okay to direct the energetic flow to where more attention is needed so those are the two things that I think are kind of fascinating about being a parent and running your own business when when you're running an own, because I have worked in a, you know, as an academic and being a parent and I run my own business and being a parent. And there's something kind of beneficial about the external structures, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. When you're a parent, but then there's the lack of freedom, right? So there's that, that sort of playful dance, right? So mm -hmm. those are the areas that I think might be fun to dig into. Yeah. I'm happy to dig into it. Those have been a huge huge points of challenge, we'll say. I was going to say struggle, but it's they've definitely just been a challenge. And mm. and to invoke boundaries again, mm -hmm. I mean, working from home is is another factor, right? That's mm -hmm. a, that's an established, that is a boundary that we took for granted, for especially if we worked at a traditional nine to five mm -hmm. job before COVID mm -hmm. that became blurry, right? We And, and talk about being confronted with the 35,000 choices that mm -hmm. we could be making. There's on our laptop alone, there's a so many choices we could be making. But then I also have the option of like, what do I, what's best for my business right now? What's best for my family? Do I, when do I meditate? If I wake up in the middle of the night, what's like, there's, there's a thousand things happening. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I think that for me, it's been I, like at any given moment in this podcast right now, my son could be screaming, crying outside right now. I could hear, right. and I would hear him and I would mm -hmm. have a reaction to that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, and, and I know that that's a metaphor in a lot of ways for just the way that life is, right? Like life, life is just random in that way sometimes. And I, I think having a kid has shattered a lot of the safety containers that I have built in my life. I, in some ways they're really helpful. And in a lot of ways, I, I wasn't confronting myself with the challenges that were best going to help me learn and grow. I, I would probably, I, I would say I defaulted more to operating in a safe container, like things that worked for me that mm -hmm. totally gets blasted when having kids. <laughs> and I, I know for you that each of your, just having kids, even if things go um, major air quotes here, if things go air quotes perfectly and smoothly and like every expectation that you have of your child is met and they're happy and healthy and whatever, even if that happened, it, it could be really challenging. So I would just be curious to hear the way that you look at your own, like what, what, how have you most learned and grown as a parent? And the, I know it's a, another big, juicy, huge question uh, in the last 20 years. And, and how has that made you like more equipped to look at all, all the other areas of your life? So I think 
both parenting and being an entrepreneur have required me to look at my own shit in a deeply intimate way, in the way that if I had not brought humans into the world and not started my own business, I wouldn't have had to. And so what I mean by that is when you run your own business, you're constantly having to face what's working and what's not working and take personal responsibility for what's working and not what's not working and not going into flagellation, but going into, okay, maybe that didn't work because I haven't figured out the dynamics of sales calls, or maybe that didn't figure out because I used the wrong hashtags, or maybe that didn't work because I haven't figured out the the language of talking to pain points, right? Rather Mm -hmm. than going, I'm shit at making landing pages or I'm shit at marketing programs or whatever it is, right? So there's that piece of like deeply facing yourself requires such a kind of playful energy which I try to stick with rather than the like I'm a failure right which is my natural like my natural is I'm a failure and then it's like oh no catch that you just don't have the skill set you're not practiced here right the reason you can do x is because you've done it 10,000 times the reason you're struggling with y is because you've done it five times you know (laughs) give yourself a fucking break right same with parenting and the thing that I found really interesting with parenting is you know my ex-husband and I were both like, well, read all the books, right? We read all the books, <laughs> you know? But then the reality is completely fucking different, right? <laughs> and when you have each child, each of my children are so different too. Like I had two boys first. And I remember when my second boy was born, I was like, I know how to be a boy, mom. My second boy was different from my first boy. And my third kid, who's a girl, is more similar to my first kid, who's a boy, right? And so I recognized it, like this concept of gender, right, was not Mm. applicable, which was one of the lenses that I looked through to make sense of parenting, right? But I think one of the things that was really fascinating to me and continues to be really fascinating to me as a parent is the ability to hold hold the different relationships, the, the duality, I think it's the word I'm looking for of, you know, when I'm parenting this child in this moment, this is what they need from me. Mm. When I'm parenting the same child in that moment, this is what they need from me. And holding the, 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 the duality of what they need and how to support them and how to show up and the kind of energy or energetic stance that I need to be in completely different. Right. So a concrete example, you know, one of my kids, I'd have to say 50 times, stop doing that, stop doing that, stop doing that, when they were doing something that was dangerous and was going to hurt them, right? Because they would be in the zone of that thing, you know, and it was like, no, no, like you're going to hurt yourself if you don't, you know, climb off that top of the ladder or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. Something kind of that toddler, you know, and the, another one of my kids, I could just, <laughs> and they would stop, Right. And I didn't need to say anything. And if I did, I could see the recoiling, you know, in them, right? Yeah. Two little humans that my body grew, (laughs) same interesting genetic mix from me and my ex-husband, completely different reaction to, you know, doing something that was going to cause them danger, (laughs) right? So those are the sorts of things that I found and continue to find really, really fascinating. And so... A big part of it, back to what we were talking about before for me, is presence. Mm. When I go into an interaction with one of my children and I'm distracted, I'm like, yeah, so how are you feeling about that exam you did, right? Versus like, how are you feeling about that exam you did? 
and being fully energetically present for them really really important so important and really hard in the overwhelmed world we live in and really hard when you work from home and you run your own business and you hear that ding and you think shit somebody's just responded to that dm i need to get back on it i need to start cultivating that relationship mm-hmm. so i can potentially pitch them blah, 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 and your kid's having a bad time and you're trying to talk to your kid and your phone's dinging and you're <laughs> right <laughs> i'm over hard in time <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> Let's chill this out, you know. So those are, I think, a few things. And then and then the other thing that I think is also really important, and I suspect you're going to play with a lot over the next 20 years, is that, you know, there'll be certain parts of your life when, you know, one thing you're doing, whether it's your business, your marriage, your child, your children, are, are struggling. Mm-hmm. And that it's okay to orient your focus and more of your attention to that Mm. and not to feel guilty, Mm -hmm. right? Because I think there is such, and I find that particularly living in America, this sense of like rabid independence. Yeah. Circling back to the the we, me, collective individual, right? One of the things that, you know, from the marriage I was in where I was not encouraged to ask for help, and then being living in a country where, you know, everybody can do it on their own and everybody can, you know, create a multi-million dollar business and everybody can be the president and everybody can do all, you know, all of that energy, right? Is so brilliant on one level because it has a deeply empowering energy, but it also has a completely exhausting, lonely kind of scarcity energy around like I have to do it all on my own and I'm a failure if I can't do it on my own. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, I'm going to try, I'm going to do my best to connect a, a couple of dots here because I think that we're, we're onto something that's really important. And we, we were speaking a little bit about work-life balance and I have the same stance as you. I don't know if it's exactly been said in this conversation, but this myth that we can show up a certain way in our professional life and not and compartmentalize it and then be a different person at home and then compartmentalize there and then be a different person when we're you know playing a, a card game with our friends or whatever mm-hmm. it's it's not true and it's also fucking exhausting as someone yeah. who has tried to do that yeah. many times in my life so one of the things that i was hearing beautifully in your response when you're looking at how to there's a way that you look at one kid and they respond and then you have to repeat things over and over again and the way that you're able to be who you need to be without compromising who you are right like you're you're still being yourself but able to meet them where they are Mm -hmm. i imagine that serves in such incredible ways when you're working with your clients in your business and then that that just permeates through all the areas of your life and all this is just to tee up the importance of, I wrote in all caps integration here, because mm-hmm. I think integration is something that's so important. Integration mm-hmm. means wholeness in a lot of ways yeah. that we're, that we're one. And so I'm just wondering if you could speak to the, the, how you look at integration in your life. So that Tamsin, the mom and Tamsin, the business owner and Tamsin, the, you know, the yoga instructor and Tamsin, who's interested in Ayurveda you're just you're just one Tamsin. Mm. Oh, so I think 
So I think there's two things that come to mind when you ask me that. One is, has one thing that's been huge for me for integration has been to allow myself to be who I am everywhere and not mm. have to, so be responsive to the needs and the energy, like we were talking about with my children, you know, and, and with my clients, but not fundamentally change who I am as a human for the kind of external gratification, the shoulds, the the masturbation, all of that kind of external, <laughs> like, you know, so, you know, I'll give you a concrete example. I'm somebody that swears a lot. I'm somebody that has a lot of tattoos. I'm somebody that's very comfortable talking about sex, relationship, intimacies, you know, where we fail, well, where we fuck up, because the way that I understand human connection is by being deeply comfortable with my own mess and my own vulnerability so that the people around me can too. And that's how we grow as humans, right? And I think that was partly, you know, my mom said to me when I was quite young, that it's one of the easiest ways to deeply connect with people is to be, you know, honest about where you're struggling. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm somebody now that I don't like having conversations with people who are like, everything's fine. Everything's <laughs> fine. I'm like, it's fucking not. Like, even if 99% of your life is fine, there must be one bit that's not. Like, come on, let's get in there, you know? Um, so I think that's that's one piece of it, right? Is being allowing myself to be fully integrated with who I am, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, I gave a big keynote on Wednesday night to the Greater Cleveland Dental Society, the women's dinner, you know, and there's often this idea when you're doing a keynote that as a woman, you should have spanks and high heels and have your hair done nicely, you know. And I went on stage in Air Jordans and gold sequin tracksuit bottoms and a like leopard print shirt and a turquoise jacket because I move around a lot on stage and I'm five foot 10 and I have a, you know, and I want to be who I am and not step into what I think people think I should look like which is a black pantsuit or whatever it is right like that's not who I am right and so I embody that energy when I go on a date I embody that energy when I pick up my kids from school I embody that energy when I'm on stage so that's one bit is allowing who I am and how I say what I look like what I wear to come through right mm -hmm. and then another piece is to which sort of ties back to what we were talking before is I think a lot of the world and the world has become more, I've lived in the US for 21 years, right? And what I've seen in the US over the last 21 years and a lot of the world as well, is this polarization, this sense of black, white, yes, no, right, wrong, Democrat, Republican, pro-life, pro-choice. And I think that the world is actually mostly a continue, a variety of continua. I mean, I think there are a few things where like there is a yes and a no, like you're racist or you're anti-racist. So when you're anti-racist, you might fuck up, right? But you're definitely in that camp, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And we could debate a million different things, but I think that most of the things in our lives are on a continuum. And to be fully integrated as a human is to play with the energy of each continuum that you're on and be curious about why am I over here and why do I think and feel that people over here are wrong, evil, right, good, bad, whatever, fill in the blank, right? When I do or don't do X, 
why you know so playing with that sense of where am I on a continuum and how do I integrate these into a sort of holistic way of engaging in the world you talk about your connection to universe spirit divine but however you'd want to phrase it how do I talk about it could you could you talk about how you connect to that mm. energy? Mm. So I'm a Buddhist, which some people will say is a philosophy, not a religion, right? And I think I became a Buddhist because what I found frustrating about a lot of conventional kind of um sort of protestant which i grew up with the classic english anglican twice a year christian christmas and easter right and you go for the weddings and the funerals christianity in england is is much less literal than it is in the us you know the parting of the red sea is about leadership rather than literally the sea parts kind of the way it's taught but i when my son got had cancer my ex-husband said let's go to church we need community we need support and i was like okay you know we live in a very christian society it's I like the idea that my children understand some kind of religion and can operate within a religious context and be a bit thoughtful about it. And also, if you've read the book Parenting Without Belief, which suggests that children who are brought up with no religion and don't understand the flaws of religion struggle. Mm. So I was like, OK, this is good. What I found frustrating was the, you know, saying every week, like your sins are forgiven. And I would come home and be like, but I didn't reflect on my sins, like the fact that I was mean to somebody, the fact that I shouted at my kid, the fact that I, whatever it was, I was just forgiven, which to me felt like I was never going to grow and evolve and learn not to do that again. It was like I was given a carte blanche, a little bit like the confessional concept. Like I fucked up this week. You may have culpa, go ahead, you know, and then next week you go back out, you, you hold it together for Monday and Tuesday, Thursday you fuck up again, right? Sunday you go back you know and that irritated me i was like i want to get better like i want to improve and what i loved about buddhism was this whole concept of personal responsibility around how i show up right when i show up what am i doing how am i thinking about people how am i navigating boredom how am i navigating anger how am i navigating resentment how am i navigating expectation right and that sort of in sort of deep peace so that was what attracted me to buddhism and so for me, when I think about my connection to the spirit world, to the universe, is the thing that I love about the concept of Buddhism is the sort of idea that energy never dies. It just gets transferred, right? So when my cousin, who was like my beloved brother, died when he and I were 37 of leukemia, I thought about the qualities in him that I loved. Like he was this super nerd who never had his own children. But he was the one who was like, as a kid, he'd be like, tell me, did you know that farts are seven miles per hour, right? Or, <laughs> you know, the blue whale's penis is eight feet long. I mean, that's like two foot taller than your dad. You know what I mean? Like he was that, like he was one of those, you know, which I loved. And I imagined that energy of his going into some cheeky little boy who was going to piss off his sister with facts, right? <laughs> And then he was also somebody who never had his own kids, but had supreme, calm, grounded energy to soothe any baby. 
So I was one of those mothers who knew I wanted to be a mother from the age of four, knew that I wanted to biologically grow humans, nurse babies, have like that adopting was never going to be sufficient for me, right? But I, until I had my own babies, I was not competent with other babies. Somebody gave me a baby and I'd be like, oh God, I'm going I'm to break it. You know, once I'd had my own kids, I'm like, bring it all on, right? I know how to do this. I was confident in my own ability. My cousin Mark was one of those people who would pick up any baby from the age of like 13, 12 and soothe them. And I thought hmm. that energy, and that's what I loved about it, that energy is going into like that maiden aunt who's called in to take care of all of the babies in her family because she doesn't have her own. And she just sits in the rocking chairs with all of her cousins and aunts and sisters and is the one who everybody calls them when they have a new baby, right? And so this idea of energy and quality and spirit, soul energy, for me, is the way that I think about the universe, right? So I think that it's arrogant to assume that there's nothing else out there. I deeply believe, and I felt my grandmother, who was I'm so close to, I felt her energy since she died 20 years ago. Like I know, and I felt her energy around there. So I definitely believe there's something more to it. I don't necessarily know that I understand it, but mm-hmm. you know, I think that nature is extraordinary and beautiful as an example of you know the divine and that we connect to. And having grown three children who came out with all their parts in the right places and all of their 12 systems working in the right places, even though they've struggled in certain ways since, you know, you look at your newborn child and you think that started as a sperm and egg. Like, Mm -hmm. holy fuck. Like how can you not find some divinity and beauty in this human, you know, and you watch their face and their hands and their legs. And like, and I breastfed all my kids for like a year and a half and like their face, you know, like there is something so beautiful about birth and babies and like the cycle of life. So that was a really long answer, but it's all woven together. (laughs) That was a fucking epic answer. I have goosebumps right now. I feel the same way. I obviously don't have the opportunity to breastfeed my kid, but when I watch him breastfeeding with my wife, I depends on the moment, of course, but I am plugged in like I am right now. If mm-hmm. if she was next to me breastfeeding, because I am plugged in and I'm lit up from this conversation, I would be in deep contact with the awe and miracle of that. Mm-hmm. Right? That yeah. that creation and and everything about this universe is mystical, right? Like unexplainably beautiful. Yeah. And you did a really good job of articulating that. So no, you didn't apologize, but you don't need to speak away the fact that it was a long answer. It was a fucking epic answer. And I really appreciated it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I know we're, we're towards the back end here. I'm interested. Have you have you heard the phrase new levels, new devils before? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so one of the one of the things that I wanted to circle back with in maybe it was a couple of answers ago, you're you're really talking about the ways that you are able to make deeper and deeper contact with stepping into your power and integrating Tamsin as just one powerful force of a, of Mm -hmm. a human. And with new levels, new devils, I imagine that you're starting to say no to things that were a little murkier in -hmm. in the past, right? Or maybe a reflexive yes. And that you wrote Mm -hmm. off as not a big deal. Mm-hmm. I, I'm wondering what you're working on saying no to these days. Oh, another fun question. So a couple of things. One is I am 
pivoting my business away from predominantly one-on-one coaching to mm. speaking and more group coaching. Like, and when I say speaking, I mean not just kind of keynote motivation type speaking, but like trainings, facilitations, because I like to get in there and get people engaging with content, ideas, mindsets, philosophies, habits, so that they can, you know, take them off the mat and use them as it were, right? Take them out. I don't want to stand there and speak at people for an hour. Like, I'm like, okay, like, what did you make sense of? How are you going to integrate this? What are you going to do with this, right? So for me, the new level, new devil, the what am I saying no to energy is around taking my speaking business as a serious business and putting the structures in place to support that. So, you know, when I first started speaking, it was just to get clients. And then I started realizing I really fucking enjoy this. Like I love the chemistry of being with a group of people, whether it's, you know, three or four people doing a kind of intimate, what does it mean to be a woman leader in the world we live in, which I did a few weeks ago, or being on a stage in front of a hundred people, like I was on Wednesday, or being in an auditorium in front of 1200 people, which I was a few years ago, right? Like there's all the different energies of what that looks like, but the chemistry of that. So as I step into the nose around that, part of it is me getting clear on the bigger vision I have for my business and who I want to serve. So I'm trying to figure out when people come to me and say, would you speak to this audience? Rather than immediately saying yes, which was my initial MO, was anytime anybody asked me to speak, I'd be like, yes, now it's, are they going to pay me or allow me to promote? And is this an audience of people who I want to continue and cultivate a long-term relationship with? Because Mm -hmm. the problems they have are interesting to me. The work they do in the world is important and meaningful to me, right? And then the kind of the boundaries around the the, the actual concrete, I mean, I think of it as like structures of what it looks like to run a speaking business versus a coaching business, Mm. right? Because a lot of people overlap the two. So it's not a novel idea, right? Do we do retreats? Do we do trainings? Do we do group coaching program? Do we do one of, so where I'm stepping into now is I've got a little bit more flexibility with my children, not being, you know, having to be, you know, at the school at, you know, three o'clock and navigating all that because I very much built my business around trying to be around my children when they came home from school, when, so I could take them to activities so that I could be involved in those, you know, transition and kind of intimate place. One of the best places to have kid conversations with your kids is in, in the car, right? Mm-hmm. You know, because they're not looking at you, right? So you can have conversations about what's going on in school. So I really wanted to make sure that I was all walking home from school or, you know, going to a class or whatever. So for me, now that that's a bit more shifted, What I'm saying yes to and no to is more around the time I have, the energy I have. What is it I'm trying to build? And is it in alignment with all of that? Hmm. Well, Tamsin, are there any stones that were left unturned? Anything that you want to bring into the conversation now that we haven't already spoken about? Oh my God. I think Mike, you and I think we could keep having conversations for hours and hours and hours and (laughs) dig into so many of these pieces. I think, I think the thing that is so important to me and that I didn't really touch on is freedom. Yeah. You know, why I do all of this is really about freedom. And I understand freedom from the lens of the yogic philosophical framework of 
moksha, which is sometimes defined as spiritual liberation, right? I actually have the word tattooed on my foot, right? Like, mm-hmm. am I walking that path? And so when I think about freedom, it's, you know, am I supporting the freedom of the people in my community? Am I supporting my freedom and the freedom of the pe- my priority people, my children, my loved ones? And then when I think about freedom on a bigger scale, it's for me, under- the way I understand freedom is, do people have access to education? Do people have access to healthcare? Do people have access to kind of like basic needs, basic rights? So for me, the way I think about everything I do, so habits, right? It creates freedom for you. You know, if you create habits, you're creating freedom. So you've got more time and energy to do, you know, whatever it is, right? So I'm driven by freedom. And when I think about that, I try to use that as a lens and not in a like, hey, laptop, like, I mean, yes, like, you know, laptop lifestyle, I can work on a beach in Hawaii, you know, I can be an apartment in New York, you know, yes, all that shit's really fun and juicy about being somebody who doesn't work a nine to five, you know, in an office, right? But, you know, freedom in the kind of bigger context of what does it mean to to be free of hurt, free of pain, free of confliction, you know, free so that you can make choices that serve you, have access to money, access to healthcare, like that's what I mean by the sort of bigger concept of freedom. So for me, that is a big driving force in everything I do. Mm. You're you're forgetting the the giant drink in your hand too, right? You got to have the pina colada, the laptop. <laughs> F, that's freedom. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Or Budweiser <laughs> version of freedom. That's real freedom there. Pickup truck rolling down the highway with a with a brewski. Yeah, that's freedom. America. <laughs> America. Um, I'm really glad that you brought that up. I actually, I wanted to check in with you about your core values. Freedom, it sounds like it's been your North Star for quite some time. And I like your definition of freedom a lot better than than Budweiser's version of freedom. <laughs> I I stand for that one. So it's been, it's been an absolute blast, Samson. I, I just have a, a couple more questions for you. These are the ones that I, I typically ask at the end of the interview. And I'm going to tweak one for you because of your outrageous joy tattoo mm. that you have <laughs> i usually ask what's an ordinary everyday moment that brings you great joy but i'm gonna replace great with outrageous so it's an ordinary everyday moment that brings you outrageous joy like waking up every morning that's not a given and having that first cup of coffee mm. and stepping outside mm-hmm. like there's something it's so simple and it's so easy to forget but that's a biggie for me is like, oh, I woke up, like, mm-hmm. give thanks. Oh, there's delicious fresh coffee. Mm, you know, particularly yeah. when it's cold. I live in Northeast Ohio. You know, we're about to enter the dark, gray, long, wintry, snowy <laughs> days, you know, the like the, the, the and then the stepping outside and breathing in, you know, there is mm. something like I I've never been able to live in a place where I can't open windows. Like mm-hmm. when I've looked at apartments or houses that have like hermetically sealed windows or windows that I can't open, I'm like, hell no, like I can't do it. Like I sleep with the windows open, but the, one of the first things I do every day is go outside and feel feel the gift of nature, the breath, even if it's fucking freezing or fucking hot. I'm like, <laughs> yes. So yeah, that brings me outrageous joy. Hell yeah. Is outrageous joy your favorite tattoo? Oh, I have a massive dragon on my left thigh, which I love. 
because she is a fire dragon and she protects the left side of my body, which is the feminine side of my body. So I love her. I also love, I've got about, I've got lots of tattoos. I also have Artemis tattooed on my rib cage and she has an arrow, her arrow drawn pointing to my heart because mm. love is another one of my big core values. Mm. And I've been told I have that Artemis energy, the hunter, but also the kind of mother protector energy. Mm. And for me, like standing for love and like protecting my own heart. You know, it's interesting. I When I moved recently, I found a box of quotations that I had taped up in my bedroom when I was going through my divorce because I found find quotations to be incredibly inspirational and one of them mm -hmm. was one that I'd written in my journal when my daughter was born in 2010 which was I'm paraphrasing because it's a long one but it was basically how I treat my own heart is how I'm going to treat other people mm. you know so like that protective but not like constricted so I think those are mine but I've got lots of other yummy ones <laughs> yeah I love moksha too so yeah yeah uh what else did i want to ask you i did want to ask books there's no before books what's the kindest thing that someone could say to you about you that i've helped them think differently about something that they were struggling with mm -hmm. beautiful now we'll go to books including your own if you were to recommend based on the conversation we've had today two three as many books as you want so I love the book Unbound by Kasia Abaniak. I've got it right here. Mm -hmm. A Woman's Guide to Power. Because it models a lot of ways that women struggle with and can be helped to think about the energetics and conversations and interactions. I love the book The Buddha and the Badass by mm -hmm. Vishen Lakhiani because... I think we need more of that energy in the world. So he is the person who started Mind Valley. Mm -hmm. And what he models beautifully in that book, which I think is really important, is that to be a successful entrepreneur, you need to have both the Buddha energy of like trusting and leaning into and valuing and believing and training your intuition, along with the the, the business badass like I'm willing to stand for something crazy I'm willing to put my money here my energy I'm willing to push into this like uncomfortable edge or solve this problem that nobody else has figured out how to solve and I think the combination of those two is really really powerful I love the book and I can't remember the author it'll come to me no doubt existential kink which again mm -hmm. is working through those those like dark and difficult things that we struggle is that Esther with Perel? I know it's not Esther Perel I've got it out in the hallway, but yeah, it's a really juicy book. It, I, t when I listen to audiobooks or I read them like eBooks, you know, and you don't see the name and you forget who they yeah. are, but yeah, it works through a lot of the kind of like those, like what we get stuck in and where we yeah. spiral, like the overthinking stuff, which I love. And then what else do I love? I love the book, The Choice, which is written by Edith Eager, Dr. Edith Eager. And mm -hmm. She was in Auschwitz and was the, oh gosh, what was the name of the, the awful dark doctor? The one who did all those cruel experiments in Auschwitz. She, um, she was a ballet dancer mm -hmm. and she had to perform for him. Mm. When she came out of Auschwitz, you know, fully broken, physically broken, left for dead. You know, so many of her family members had died. 
she became a trained psychotherapist and spent most of her career, she's about 100 now, she's still alive, working with, you know, neo-Nazis, working with people with extreme, extreme, extremely hateful views on the world. And her ability to hold space for people who have diametrically opposed or horribly different or just insanely cruel and vile and horrible, however you want to define it, views from her own, hold space for them with this idea of like the continua, the duality, and give them different ways of thinking and support them through their journey and still, you know, be a married, have children, live in the world and navigate those different energies, I found to be incredibly powerful. Similar to Viktor Frankl, you know, man's search for meaning, the gap between stimulus and response, that's our greatest freedom, right? Paraphrasing that famous quote. I think people who experience extreme trauma and use that as fuel to serve others. So basically any book in that space, I like really lean into because I think that it's very easy to get stuck in rearview living. Yeah. You know, <laughs> rather than how can I use this, learn from it and serve? Yeah. Well, I'll make sure to link to all those in the show notes. And I've got goosebumps again. I've, I'm really moved by that that last share there. So I'm, I'm definitely going to have to check out that book. And uh, I'll link to where people can connect with you. It's tamsonaster.com. And is it mm-hmm. at and Aster on all the social social medias yeah i'm not and, on so i'm mainly on linkedin and facebook and instagram beautiful and i'll link to your book as well, well so thank you everyone will have places that they can reach you and you gave such a, a beautiful taster of so many different aspects of who you are and the work that you do so people can dive deeper in all the ways and the final question that i ask in every interview speaking of man's search for meaning podcast is called Mike Search for Meaning. And I would love to know in the words of Tamsin Astor, what it means to live a meaningful life. To live a meaningful life is to do what you love, serve the people who need the most help, not compromise your psychological, emotional health for for those people. And to go through all of this with a kind of, with a little bit of lightness. The world can feel so dark and heavy and difficult and painful with particularly what's going on right now. And I think if we can be comfortable with a little levity, mm-hmm. a little playfulness in everything, whether it's the like, the playfulness of when a toddler learns to walk, the playfulness that I have a tattoo that says outrageous joy that faces me and is on my thigh. So when I sit down to pee every morning, I'm like, outrageous joy. All right, how could I bring that into my life and the lives of others? And and not to feel guilty for trying to find joy and spark joy in others when there's a lens of pain and discomfort, like that the, the two can exist. Mm-hmm. So there mm-hmm. we go. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Tamsin. Thank you for everything that you brought into this conversation. I I experience you as embodying and living, breathing everything that you spoke about today. You're living and breathing all the tattoos. I think that your favorite, the dragon is like totally captures your essence. You got this fiery, but, but also really loving and nurturing 
mama bear energy about you. And uh, I was in touch with that when we met. And I'm really grateful that we were able to share that with my audience today. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for holding space for me, for reflecting back what I was thinking so beautifully and asking mm. me questions that made me think. Mm. I guess by your definition, I'm living a meaningful life, right? I made you think. There you go. <laughs> All right. I'm living Tamsin's meaningful life. I've made it. <laughs> well, it was an absolute blast. I, I hope that for everyone who's listening that you, you check out Tamsin's work and take some notes, man. There were, there were lots of beautiful things, really practical things and also thought-provoking things that you can leave from with this conversation. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure to subscribe, hit the button below. And thank you so much for listening. Have a beautiful rest of your day or evening. Sending you lots of love. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to Mike's Search for Meaning. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode with your friends and leave a review. I look forward to seeing you next time, my friends. And until then, stay safe, stay well, and keep living with purpose. Peace.